do something as we get started here. Take in a real deep breath. And let it out. And let's talk to God real quick before we dive into his word. Abba, Father, we just want to crawl up into your lap right now. We want to sit for a few minutes and listen to your heartbeat. We want to get ourselves in tune with you. We want to enjoy you. We want to love you more. So would you help us to do that by the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you help us to meet with you in these next few minutes? And may we walk away changed. We pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. When the 1960s ended, San Francisco's Haight-Asbury district reverted to a high-rent area. Many hippies moved down the coast to Santa Cruz. They had children and they got married, sometimes not in order, and they didn't name their children normal names like Melissa or Brett or Mike or Jennifer. Instead, they named their children names like Little Time Warp or Spring Fever. And eventually, these children like Moonbeam and Earth and Love and Precious Promise, they all ended up together in public school. And that's when the kindergarten teachers first met Fruit Stand. Every fall, according to tradition, parents bravely would apply name tags to their children's clothes, kiss them goodbye, and send them off on the school bus. And so it was for Little Fruit Stand. The teachers thought the boy's name was odd, but they tried to make the best of it. Would you like to play with the blocks, Fruit Stand, they offered? And later, Fruit Stand, do you want a snack? He accepted hesitantly. By the end of the day, his name didn't seem much odder than Sunray. At dismissal time, the teachers led the children out to the buses. Fruit stand, do you know which one is your bus? He didn't answer. But that wasn't strange. He hadn't answered them all day. Lots of children, after all, are shy on the first day of school. It didn't matter. The teachers had instructed the parents to write the names of their children's bus stop on the reverse side of their name tags. The teacher simply turned over the tag, and there, neatly printed, was the word Anthony. That was a story from Reader's Digest, uh, for all you who, who remember that. That's um, a funny story, but the point of the story is this. We can get ourselves into some trouble when we make assumptions. Ill will always suspects the worst. Matthew Henry wrote those words in his commentary on the passage that we're going to study today. Ill will always suspects the worst. So with those words in mind, let's read our passage together. We're going to be in Mark chapter 2, starting with verse 23. 
Now one Sabbath, he, being Jesus, was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and he also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, Jesus practices a great rule of thumb that we can apply to when we get to tricky theology. He uses scripture to understand and interpret other scripture. In the words of a famous hymn, God is his own best interpreter. Because it's impossible for God to contradict himself, we can use God's word to better understand and apply God's word. This isn't proof texting, but rather trusting in the consistency of the nature and communication of God. Now, Jesus here used a story that would be well known to these Jewish leaders, that of King David and his entourage eating the showbread, which is also called the bread of the presence, when they were fleeing from Saul. So the showbread was a bread that was put in the very holiest of holy places in the temple. This was a special bread that was to be handled only by the high priest as it was part of their worship and ceremonial practices. In fact, in Leviticus 24.9, God says, It belongs to Aaron and his sons who are to eat it in a holy place because it is a most holy part of their regular share of the offerings made to the Lord by fire. So what's the hurt word we heard repeated twice there? Holy. So this is a holy thing in the temple. The priest on duty that day, Ahimelech, he questions David fairly extensively. And then he consents to give him and his men the previous day's showbread. From 1 Samuel 21.6. So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. I don't know if you're starting to see what's going on here, but I feel like at the time, the Jews would have understood and the air would have started to feel electric. As Jesus was referring to this story, not only was he equating himself with King David, he was equating himself with the high priest. Both men had authority to eat and give this consecrated holy bread, and so did Jesus. Jesus was revealing himself as prophet, priest, and king. As controversial as this would have sounded to his audience, the reality is that Jesus can do whatever he wants on the Sabbath because he is the perfect prophet, the perfect priest, and the perfect king. As he himself says in John 4:34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. 
It is impossible for Jesus to incorrectly celebrate the Sabbath because he is the Sabbath. Jesus embodies the perfect Sabbath. Think about it. The Sabbath is intended for us to pause, to take a break from earthly work, to reorient our focus to God and his kingdom, to trust in his work and his provision on our behalf. But Jesus embodies this every day, living from a place of trust, a place of focus, and a place of correct orientation. To experience the Sabbath, then, is to experience true gospel peace. Remember, we lit that candle this morning that's the peace candle? In Hebrew, the word is shalom. We experience that in our outer relationships and our inner selves. Now, we translate the word shalom as peace, but it really means so much more than that. Listen to these profound words from shalom, the real utopia. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. A rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts are fruitfully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder at its creator and savior. He opens doors and he welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. Timothy Gombus puts it this way. God gave the law in order to provide for Israel's flourishing to give them wisdom and how to walk with God, to love him and to love their neighbor. The Mosaic law is saturated with God's grace. But for the Pharisees, his gracious instruction had now become a restrictive and heavy burden that they were carrying. They had transformed his principles and they had become more important than people. The Pharisees had either forgotten or they had never known the heart of God. Rather than celebrating the Sabbath as a gracious gift of God, intended for their flourishing and enjoyment, the Sabbath had become a heavy burden for them, full of strict regulations and rules that left them feeling sad and distant from God. In their many and robust efforts to serve God, they had forgotten how to enjoy him. They were running around the kitchen like Martha when they should have been sitting at the feet of Jesus like Mary. True Sabbath rest is to sit at the feet of Jesus, to hear his life-giving words spoken over us, to enjoy his unchanging character and joy-filled presence to share our hearts with him in turn. If the Sabbath was indeed made to be a gift for us, we can ask ourselves at the conclusion of each Sabbath, how am I the better for having celebrated the Sabbath today? What good did it do me? If we have no answer to that question, or if the day, in fact, did not feel like a gift... That's a clue for us to examine how we spent our Sabbath and why. A weary heart or body at the conclusion of a Sabbath is intended to be God's blinking yellow light 
to communicate that we need to slow down and see what went awry. Do you have the practice of Sabbathing built into your week? If not, it might be time to consider why not. If you do, do you pause and take the time at the conclusion of each Sabbath to ask yourself, did this day feel like a gift? Kate Bowler offers this beautiful slowing down prayer in her book, Good Enough. Blessed are we who thought that we were self-made by the doing, by the accolades, by the accomplishments and the gold stars. We measured our worth by how tired we were every morning, how many special events we missed because of work, and how many times we answered the question, how are you, with busy. We thought, this is the good life. And then we grew tired and lonely. We felt the strain on our relationships and our spiritual lives, and we became a bit miserable to be around. So blessed are we who stop. Okay, maybe not stop entirely. Who are we kidding? But who slow down. We who discover rest and new life and renewal when we step off the treadmill, or at least turn it down a little bit, we who remember that the world will keep spinning without us, and thank you, God, for that. We who remember that we are loved, loved, loved by you, Lord, not for what we do, but for who you are. Amen. If our identity truly is rooted in who we are as beloved children of God, then we can slow down. We can accept the gift of rest, and we can enjoy the company and care of our Heavenly Father. In the same way that you don't love your children because of what they do or what they accomplish, or if they perfectly obey you, because let's face it, they don't, our Heavenly Father, His love is also not conditional. It's not based on our performance. So we're freed up to enjoy this good gift of Sabbath to the glory of God and for our own good and flourishing. I don't know about you, but I've never known a four-year-old who was worried about their to-do list. If the Sabbath is truly meant to contribute to our flourishing, to be a means of grace and restoration each week, then it would be foolish of us to skip it, right? Why would we skip God's good gift so that we can somehow be more productive for him? This story by L.S. Chafer powerfully illustrates how necessary rest is in order that we can be our very best for God. One man challenged another to an all-day wood-chopping contest. That sounds like fun, huh? The challenger worked so hard, stopping only for a very brief lunch break. The other man had a leisurely lunch, and he took several breaks throughout the day. At the end of the day, the challenger was surprised and annoyed to find that the other fellow had chopped substantially more wood than he had. I don't get it, he said. Every time I checked, you were taking a rest, and yet you chopped more wood than I did. But you didn't notice, said the winning woodsman, that I was sharpening my axe 
when I sat down to rest. Keeping the Sabbath is, in essence, a weekly sharpening of our acts. It is resetting our hearts and our lives to God's rhythm and God's ways. It's a chance to remove that log out of our own eye before noticing the speck in another's. In other words, to examine our own lives before God, to allow him to cleanse us from our sin and restore a right spirit within us. That's the only way that we'll ever live rightly with others. As we lit the second Advent candle this morning, we were reminded of the peace that Jesus brought during his earthly arrival. True peace, a shalom like the world hadn't felt since Eden, was coming again. In Philippians 4, Paul tells us not to give in to anxiety, but rather to present our requests to God. He then says something really remarkable, that the peace of God will be with you. The God of peace is Jesus himself. He is perfect shalom, the walking embodiment of God's as-it-should-be world. And he's come to bring his peace, his flourishing wholeness and delight into our hearts and our worlds too. But here's the best part. Shalom isn't just for us. Sabbath doesn't just bless us or just cause us to flourish. Do you remember the end of that story with King David? Jesus quoted at the end of Mark 2, he said to the Pharisees, have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? He and those who were with him how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which it's not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus didn't just cause the blessing and flourishing of himself by practicing the Sabbath rightly. In the same way that David blessed all the men who were with him by sharing the bread, Jesus also blessed all of his disciples by restoring the Sabbath to what it's supposed to be. They were all nourished and strengthened for the worship and work of God. Their axes were metaphorically sharpened and the church was strengthened. For those of you who don't yet practice a Sabbath, can I encourage you, to accept this generous gift that God is offering you this Christmas season. Take one day a week, whichever day works for you, it doesn't matter, and slow down. Spend time with the Lord, his good creation, and his people. Reconnect with joyful wonder. Sit in his shalom. And as we think about practicing the Sabbath rightly each week, this week and in weeks to come, here's a few questions that we can ask ourselves. What would make the Sabbath feel like a gift to me? What can I do or practice on the Sabbath that would lead to my flourishing? How can I enjoy God and others on the Sabbath? What do I need to remove from my Sabbath? What is feeling like a burden or causing me to serve the Sabbath 
rather than it's serving and blessing me. On my Sabbath, am I spending as much time thinking about my own sin and receiving God's provision of grace and forgiveness as I am thinking about and focusing on the sin of others? Am I using the Sabbath as a day of rest where I'm free to think of God, to give thanks for his good gifts, and to take care of my health and well-being, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and relationally? Do I ever find myself seeking security by exercising either too much control over other people's lives or too light a control over my own life? What do I need to entrust to God to experience the freedom that he intends to give his sons and daughters? Friends, God has given us a beautiful, costly, lavish gift. It's called the Sabbath. It would be wrong of me to preach this sermon to you and to have not practiced it on my own. So Friday, which is my Sabbath day, I set that day aside. I said, I'm going to take the to-do list and set it aside for tomorrow. I'm going to intentionally try to practice what I'm preaching this week. And I did, you know, maybe not perfectly. I still answered an email or two, but I did for the most part. And what I found yesterday as I attended to my to-do list was that every time I looked at the clock, it was always an hour or two earlier than I thought it was going to be. God somehow expanded and multiplied the time so that it was enough, enough for me to accomplish the things that I needed to accomplish, enough for me to do the things that I needed to do, and to still haven't spent that day before with him. He gives us this gift every single week. You don't even have to wait for Christmas or your birthday. He gives it to us every single week to demonstrate his deep love for us, his desire to see us flourish. Sabbath is not easy to practice, especially in this season of hurry and stress and feeling stretched much too thin. But our Heavenly Father longs to meet us in the midst of our hurry, to bless us, to beam with pride as a father does when he sees us starting to look more and more like him. He deeply desires for us to enjoy the freedom and the joy that come from living in his ways. God has given you the gift of the present in the Sabbath. Won't you unwrap it each week and enjoy more and more of him? Let's pray. Oh God, how silly it would be of us to leave a gift unwrapped under the tree at Christmas time. In the same way, Lord, it can be easy for us to leave the gift of the Sabbath unwrapped each week, unused, unenjoyed, uncelebrated. So help us, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to enjoy the gift of the Sabbath. Help us to slow down to rest, to take a break, to enjoy you, and in so doing, to sharpen our acts so that we're ready to participate in your worship and work more fully and more joyfully. Help us, Jesus, to do that by the power of your Holy Spirit. 
We pray in your name. Amen. By the grace of God, may you truly be enabled to do that this week. May he allow you to surrender your to-do lists, to surrender your need, to, to have things rely on you, to surrender your butts, but, 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 to surrender all to him, to trust him, to do more than we could ask or imagine with your surrender. May he allow you to do that this week by the grace and power of Jesus. Amen.